Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Gateway Rescue Mission, meeting the physical and spiritual needs of the homeless right here in Jackson, Mississippi. Check us out at www.gatewaymission.org. This is Rebecca Turner, and thank you for listening to the Good Things Podcast here on Super Talk Mississippi. It's Mississippi's Radio Happy Hour. Well, I'm going to Mississippi. Mississippi, here I come. You're listening to Good Things with Rebecca Turner. Well, I'm going to Mississippi. Mississippi, here I come. Bringing you the good stories of Mississippi's people, places, and things to do. Now, now, here's Rebecca. Good afternoon, Super Talk Mississippi. You are tuned into your radio happy hour. That's the good things. I'm your host, Rebecca Turner. Now, don't forget, you can listen to good things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from the Super Talk Mississippi app. And, of course, you can always find us on your local Super Talk Mississippi radio station. You can watch us, too. We are on your computer or your mobile device. Just head on over to supertalktv.com. And today, I just wanted to start it off with offering our continued prayers and thoughts for Coach Leach, his family, and, of course, his medical team. I know today's been a whirlwind for many of you who are in the Bulldog family as well as just, you know, Team Mississippi. Just know that Sports Talk Mississippi, which is coming up next at 3, they're going to have the latest, most accurate information for you. And if anything official changes, just know, of course, Rhino and I will keep you um, keep you updated. But with that, I want to get to our guest who's joining us. I know he's an MSU Bulldog at heart, Mr. Gary Bachman. He's a horticulturist, an urban farmer, and a homesteader. But he's got something else cooking in his oven today. But hey, Gary. Hey, Rebecca. How you doing this afternoon? I am doing well, and I love uh, following all of your plant information on um, social media. But it's also your cooking. You are quite, um, you know, the champ there in the kitchen, utilizing a lot of your homegrown products to can or to cook with. But I love this story because this is a recipe that most wouldn't just necessarily think that folks jump to do every year. But it's been passed down through generations, and it's for a fruit cake. So your family apps like embraces the fruitcake, correct? Well, if that's correct, and I and I have to tell you a funny story about that. Growing up, I watched my mom and grandmother bake the fruitcake, and and it kind of fell to me to start baking the fruitcakes for the family. And I was talking to my mom several years ago about. I wrote one of my Southern Gardening columns about kind of Christmas traditions and how I, I baked our family um, fruit cake recipe. And she corrected me and said, well, it's really not our family recipe. It came from the Lesson Oil Cookbook from 1955. <laughs> so, it's a tried and true recipe. But, hey, kudos to Mom for sharing her secrets. But it's oh, something absolutely, that yeah. the Bachman family obviously has had as a tradition where so many you know, turn their nose up to fruitcakes, it seems like you guys have sort of embraced it. Do you think it just gets a bad rap for the sake of being the black sheep of the dessert the dessert table during the holidays? Oh, I think so. And I think it gets that because people will go out and buy a commercially produced fruitcake that was probably baked in the summertime getting ready for the, you know, for the holiday season. And there's no comparison to a fruitcake that you spent, and it, it takes a little bit of time to do this, 
But you spend an afternoon baking a fruitcake versus off the store shelf, and you cannot kind of understand why people turn their noses up to the commercial. You know, people really should learn how to bake their own fruitcakes. I mean, it's a lot of fun, and it's delicious. So how do, what's the process? You don't obviously have to walk us through every single step, but right. what would someone be surprised to know of the effort that goes into a homemade fruitcake? Well, you, you have to start early. You just can't go out December 1st and get supplies because you need the, can, the candy cherries and pineapple and the citron which starts showing up in end of September, but in, by now it's all gone off the shelves. So if you wait too long, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to bake it. Um, and a lot of it is just waiting. It, it takes three hours cooking low and slow in the oven. Once, once you have, you know, the batter and everything put together, then that's the longest period of time. But during that three hours, the house smells wonderful. Oh, I can imagine. That's going to be like the spices and the different yep. sort of aromas that come in with all the different fruits. And, and you even mentioned the citrus. It kind of smells like Christmas, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yet yesterday in our house, Rebecca, it was it was fantastic. I was kind of happy that it was a rainy day because I could, could stay in and, you know, and just enjoy those cakes baking. Now, I read, too, I was following sort of the thread there on your Facebook feed, Gary, and someone yeah. mentioned huh. that they let theirs get a good brandy soaking for about a month, and yours is getting prepared for its its bourbon, I guess, glaze is what you, or brandy glaze that you do. Right. How important is that, like, finishing touch to the flavor or the integrity of the fruitcake? You want to know something? It really doesn't make a difference. In the past, I've used kind of the maple-flavored bourbon, you know, and maybe if I've baked them around Thanksgiving time, you know, and soak them and brush them with that lovingly over several weeks. This batch yesterday got a brown sugar and bourbon glaze on top of it. We're going to wrap them up, stick them in the fridge, and, you know, probably end of the week start mailing them out to family members. How many fruitcakes will you mail during a holiday season, or will you gift, should I say, Gary? Well, last year I, I made 24 of, of these, of these fruitcakes. And, and just to let you know how big they are, it's regular loaf pan, but they weigh three pounds apiece. Um, I did 24 last year. This year I'm only doing eight. So the family members that do get some fruitcake, they'll know that they're the special ones. So if someone's listening, they're like, okay, you know, I'm looking to bake a different dessert. I'm looking, you know, sure. to do something different. I mean, what would be in your encouragement to say, hey, let's resurrect the fruitcake. Let's give it a, you know, give it back its place on the holiday table and make them from scratch and, you know, give them a chance again. I, I think that's a wonderful idea. And, you know, if, if it's probably the best encouragement is, you know, if people just visit my Facebook page and see the pictures of those cakes that came out yesterday, they will want to bake fruitcakes next year for their families. Would the Bachman family feel like the holidays without a fruitcake? No, it really, it really doesn't. Um, you know, through the years we've had fruitcakes and we've had special cream cheese cookies and sour cream cookies. The cookies have fallen by the wayside um, yeah, it's just, there's just a lot of work to do that. Um, but I felt it was important 
to keep the fruitcake tradition going. So that that's my mission is to do that. And hopefully I convince one of my daughters to pick up the um, the baton when the time comes. Well, that's what I was going to ask if, if you sort of pass that down, because I know you're winding down and passing the baton in a lot of different of your professional right. areas. You yeah. are retiring, Gary. I didn't know it was possible. Uh, believe me, it was a... Um, you know, it was a surprise to me, but this year with you know with my prostate cancer this year, it's kind of made me kind of look at things a little differently. And and there's I have some other things that I want to do, Rebecca, and I want to do them on my time on my schedule. And so that that was the that was the big decision maker. How long have you been dedicating your professional career to being a horticulturist, a farmer? There with Southern Gardening. How long have you? How long's your career? Um, Fifteen years at Mississippi State. Um, Ten years at two other universities, and you go back. You know, so we're we're, look, we're looking. You know, you know, thirty five years plus as you know, working in the field of horticulture. But that's one of those careers, Gary, you can't get away from. It's kind of like a oh, lifestyle, no. right? I mean, you, you just will stop showing up for work every day, but you'll keep doing the same things. Oh, absolutely. My yard now, Rebecca, is going to look like a botanical garden because I'm going to have time to actually do what needs to be done. I've always described people will say, oh, your yard must look so great. And now because I'm doing horticulture for everybody else, my yard looks like the shoemaker's kid who run who run around barefoot at times, you know. And it's just, you know, not enough time in the day and but I'm gonna have that time now and so yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be great, I think. Oh, I think it will be too. I know you guys yeah. there at MSU are also wrapping up for kind of a retirement collection of your um southern gardening. When will that start to air? Um I I think the first week in January there's going to be a special Southern Gardening column come out. Um, we're going to we we just shot the last Southern Gardening TV segment in Poplarville with all the poinsettias from our trials. Oh my gosh, they were just so gorgeous! And that's a special kind of looking back through the years of Southern Gardening and some of the fun things that we did with with the TV. And you know, but besides besides that, I'm not sure. I think there may be there may be some surprises you know, in folks' back pocket that they're going to pull out for this. I don't know, but we'll just we'll just see and enjoy. I would say after 15 years, you probably got a few blooper reels or two in there. But you mentioned oh, yes. poinsettias, <laughs> uh, Gary. Can you stick with us? It's National Poinsettia Day, if I can say sure. it correctly. We want to keep ours uh, healthy and well. So we got more okay. with Gary coming up next. Just a little brighter. It's Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi. 
you can watch good things where on computer you're mobile device just head on over to supertalktv.com and you will see you will see us and Gary Bachman horticulturist urban farmer homesteader and hopefully he'll keep our poinsettias alive am I saying those correctly why is that such a hard word to say Gary porn poinsettias poinsettias yeah I can't say it <laughs> it's it's just it's I think it's just that OI combination I say poinsettia a lot of times poinsettias I mean, you want to know something? It doesn't matter how you say it, Rebecca, as long as you go out and buy some and have some for the holidays. What makes them so special for this time of year? Why are they the perfect plant for your home, your office, or whatever it may be during the holiday months? Well, it's a, a, lot, of, a lot of it has to do with their, uh, where they evolved. They evolved in Mexico. And, it, and it's interesting, in, Mex- in, in Spanish, and I'm going to butcher this, but they're called Flores de la Noche Buena, or Flowers of the Holy Night, where they naturally color up around, the Christmas, around Christmas time. And years, years ago, folks saw that and brought cuttings back, and we discovered that growers could manipulate the day length or the night length and make the poinsettias color up earlier than right at Christmas time. And that, that's why we have poinsettias basically in some stores at the end of October all the way through the Christmas season because the growers can make those poinsettias you know, color up when we want to do them. That, that's kind of the real cool thing about it. I can't think of any other time of the year where a plant is so readily given as gifts. So like even here in the Farm Bureau building, they set them out beautifully as decorations. And then the moment Christmas is over, they say, take one home with you, you know, first come, first serve. So many gift Uh, uh, them, I mean, to, you know, to people, to their coworkers or whatever it may be. It feels like it's just not Christmas if you don't have one somewhere. Right. And, And I'll tell you something interesting. At Mississippi State, we're doing marketing work with poinsettias because they're not just red. You know, there's whites and there's pinks, but there's also oranges and and yellows and different um, variegated um, poinsettias, which we're thinking that if we could have yellow poinsettias like at end of September, wouldn't that be a great autumn plant oh, yeah. to go along? to go along with the flowering mums that everybody associates with Paul. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's just amazing what we can do in a gorgeous plant. And they're actually easy to take care of, too. So, okay, so that was my next thing, because I think that's also one reason why they're popular, is the fact that they're hard to kill, because we're all busy during this time of year. Who's got time right. to remember to water a plant? <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's kind of, you know, like it's dreary right now here in central Mississippi, so it's not getting much light. What, how do you take care of one? Really, you're, you've, you've bought the poinsettia from the grower, and you bring it home. The worst thing that you can do is to overwater that plant. You always you always want to water it when the when the soil or the growing mix feels dry to the touch, and you just don't water that plant where it sits because it probably has a full a foil wrapper around it. You always take the pot out of that wrapper, set it in the sink, and wa- and water just the the uh, the uh, the pot the mix in the pot. Don't water the leaves on the plant, and then allow that pot to drain 
and then go sit it back out. We'll put the wrapper on it and set it back out where it was. Uh, poinsettias do not like wet feet, and they will get root diseases in a snap of a finger if they're overwatered. So, so overwatering is the worst thing that we can do. Well, that's good to know. I've also heard that are they poisonous to our pets, or is that kind of a myth, or is there any like uh, truth to that? There's a, that is oh my gosh, that is something that you know has it's an urban legend that just continues and will not go away. Um, back in the um, mid '80s at Ohio State University, my alma mater, Go Bucks. Um, they they actually did the research on that and proved that you no know, poinsettias are not poisonous to our pets. In, in fact, it would take a, a cat or a dog to eat their body weight in poinsettia leaves bef- before they would really get sick. That, that, I mean, they'll have some tummy distress if they if they chew on a couple of leaves, but they they don't taste very good. One of the uh, things my advisor at Ohio State had us do was kind of taste the sap, and it is pretty disgusting. And so it's disgusting for our pets, too. Um, The the worst thing that really can happen is us, the pet owner, from handling the poinsettias could get some contact dermatitis from the latex, that white white sap that's in the poinsettias. So always want to wash your hands when you, um, after you've handled the plant. But the point is that it's not going to kill your dog or your cat. Can you grow them in Mississippi outside? I know they're kind of an indoor plant, but I was just sitting here thinking, Gary, I mean, is it's one that we do in a greenhouse and then we bring them in and enjoy them indoors during this time of year? Can you have like a, you know, a flower bed full of them? I mean, probably not, but can you grow them in Mississippi? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, if you get a nice poinsettia, you know, take care of it during the cool months. And once it gets typically temperatures, night temperatures above 55 consistently, then we can put it outside. We can put it in the ground. We can grow it in pots out on the back porch. Um, a lot of folks do that thinking they're going to make the uh, poinsettia color up again. It's really hard for the homeowner to do it because it just takes a split second of light and it, it throws the clock all off on the plants. But they, they make a great summer plant. They're really gorgeous. And my advice is next holiday season, if you want that pretty plant, just go to the grower. Let them do what they do and do the growing for you. And all you have to do is enjoy the fruits of their labor during the holidays. Is there any other plant that maybe doesn't get the recognition it needs during this time of year? Maybe if you're looking to gift something different or put something different in your home this, this holiday season other than a poinsettia, which one do you do? Well, there's Christmas cactuses, of course. Um, one thing that was kind of fun that I've noticed, um, rosemary plants that are trimmed up like little um, Christmas trees, so those are fun. And one that I've always thought, would be really neat, but it really hasn't gained traction, are ornamental peppers. We see these in our gardens a lot, and they, some of them look like Christmas trees, all decorated with the, with the colorful fruit. I really think that somebody should grow these specifically for the holiday season, and that would be a unique holiday plant. Now, and and that's, tell you the truth, that's something the homeowner could do if they're really industrious. That would be a fun project. I'd like a three- or four-month project to do that, but it would be fun.
It would be fun and be beautiful. You're always full of such good information. And even though you are retiring, you've put out a wealth of information through your own books and such. Remind us, I mean, Christmas is just around the corner. If we've got that gardener or lover in our life, um, how can we gift them the, the book of Gary Bachman? Oh, the book of Gary Bachman, really, for, for an autographed copy, all they have to do is send me an email. Um, you can contact me, um, message me on Facebook, on Instagram, and we can work the details out. And, you know, if, if we if we get the request this week, I'll get them out, and you should have copies, you know, before the big day. Before the big day. Or even, don't forget, Mother's Day is coming up and all of those things. Yeah. Do you actually Absolutely. think you're going to be able to retire? Do you actually think that you're going to wake up whatever the next day is and and just drink coffee and be retired? Well, Rebecca, first of all, every day is going to be Saturday now, and I will be drinking my coffee, but I'm still going to be doing the horticulture advice point of view. We're going to ramp up more videos at home in the home garden. We're going to start doing some more web presence. I'm going to, I'm going to be writing more for, you know, geared towards the homeowner. We're working out some deals with some some of the, um, the the seed producers and the um, you know the gardening supply companies to promote their products. So I'm going to be I'm not just going to be in the rocking chair. There's no doubt about that because I don't want to do that. But well, but I but I but I still want to talk horticulture because it never stops. It never stops, and neither do do you um, on your Facebook page. And I love that you are you keep me entertained and engaged. And me and Rhino were just talking about uh, fruitcakes during the break there. So we're going to try to re you know bring those back to life for folks and give them the opportunity to make uh, their own. I'm going to post the recipe in the Good Things Facebook group, and you can't retire from me, Gary. Okay, so you uh, no, know. No. You you have my phone number. You got the direct line, and I'll always pick up for you, Rebecca. I appreciate that and your okay. time today, Gary. I thank you. Hey, listen, it's my pleasure. All right, you guys stick with us. We going from plants to playstations and more coming up next. Rebecca Turner. She looks healthy and sane. Good Things with Rebecca Turner continues on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome 
talking about the good things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. We're also streaming from the Supertalk Mississippi app. And, of course, you can find us on your local Supertalk Mississippi radio station. And tomorrow there will be a day of blood-pumping gaming action awaiting you. And you are invited to the Play VSM Mississippi Championship Matches, which is going to include some of the region's most talented young gamers. And it's all happening in Hattiesburg. And joining us to tell us more is Chloe and Tori. Hey, ga- Hey, girls. Hi, thanks for having us on. I'm We're excited to share more about the championships and the playoffs. Yeah, I love this, and I love talking about it every time because it's something new and exciting that's coming to not only high schools but universities, and it's opportunities for young kids to take what parents once thought was just time-sucking you know, um, activities, which is playing games, and putting it to good use. So how do you guys describe Play VS, or how do you describe eSports when someone asks you, well, what is it? Sure. So it's pronounced play versus, and we consider esports anything that's a digital game that you can get involved with competitively. At the high school level, this focuses on games like Super Smash Bros. or Rocket League that are fun for different groups but can also be played individually. We have lots of kids across the state that are involved in dozens of different teams, and they'll play against one another, and they also compete in a national championship. Because it's digital, it's very easy to organize these and connect people virtually and was able to be done through the pandemic as well. Do you think that really helped kind of spark the interest in getting on the games and making it more official and sort of moving, uh, I guess, the speed of the interest in esports forward? Or was that already brooming and it wouldn't have really mattered? It's definitely benefited, but it absolutely had already had a lot of interest beforehand. Setting up these leagues through Play Versus has given schools and kids the opportunity to set aside time and space and computers so that they can all participate and feel involved in extracurriculars where they might not have usually been interested in. So if a kid comes home and says, hey, mom, I want to get on one of the leagues for gaming, I mean, what, what, what sort of questions do you normally get from parents in terms of is this good for, you know, their health to sit there and play it all the time? How does the structures of the competition work out? I'm just thinking from a mom's perspective, I would say, little Johnny, this sounds too good to be true. <laughs> you're, you're pulling my chain here on playing video games for competition. The biggest uh, concern or question is making sure that it's done in a supervised environment. And that's another great benefit of these leagues through Play Versus is that there's always a supervisor, most likely a teacher, that's familiar with these types of video games. And they also put a limit on how much time that the students are actually engaging in video games. These after-school practices also include sometimes physical warm-up conversations with coaches and making sure that their school and their grades are coming first and that this is a fun added bonus. Well, so the concern from parents is usually about time, and that's one of the things that coaches focus on a lot. Oh, I love that. Well, that would also be with, I guess, any any sport or, rec- or recreation. There needs to be a balance in how much time you give that versus the other things in life. So that's um, that's pretty cool. Okay, let's talk about the coaches. Where are they coming from? Like, are they within the school system that also just have an interest in the gaming, or are they or are they also gamers themselves who've kind of worked their way, you know, into the competition world? Or how does that work? Most coaches are either part of the teaching faculty or administrative faculty, but also have an interest in gaming themselves. I would say that maybe half and half are are gamers in their own right or became interested after they saw how many students were interested. We also have noticed that schools are hiring, um, both schools and universities are hiring 
uh, coaches who are experienced with esports because the programs are developing so much and growing at such a rate. Uh, that they do want to have people that understand it on board. So let's talk about tomorrow. It's an exciting day for Playverse and with the Mississippi Championship matches down in Hattiesburg. Why was Hattiesburg selected, or do you always kind of go to the hub city? Uh, it, it's usually based on availability and other factors like that with the school administrators, but we always want to have it somewhere central so that in the event people want to come and watch or you know the other students at the schools want to come rally around, that it's somewhere easily accessible for as many people as possible. So how many teams will be there tomorrow? I, I Off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but I think we have uh, at least 10 different teams from the state participating. Uh, it will be kind of a playoff situation, so as the matches go on, it, it will kind of reduce how many are involved, and then the final championship winner will be announced uh, after the end of the match. This will also be broadcasted on the Play versus YouTube. Oh, pretty cool. Okay. Okay, so how many gamers is on a team? The teams range. One of the great things about Play Versus is we have a no-cut kind of policy. Uh, as long as the school has the space for the students, as many players as they want can join. So it, it varies a lot from uh, school to school. And is this one where it's mixed gender? Do you get girls and boys, or they have set their own separate teams, or can they all just, whoever's the best at, like, Mario Smash is good? Yep, it's co-ed, and they base it on whoever's the best at uh, different game titles. So, for example, some students would want to play Super Smash, and some students would rather play Rocket League. There's a, a really great variety of games through Play Versus, uh, so people have the opportunity to play whatever they're best at. You mentioned the space for school to sort of embrace this idea of esports. Would that include, obviously, I guess, the gaming equipment, uh, computers or TVs or, or something like that for them to be able to practice together on campus? Is that kind of what's required? Yes, and many schools already have the computer labs and equipment available. Most games are played on PC, but PlayVersus also works with schools to do giveaways of the Nintendo Switch so that students can take it home and practice at home. Pretty cool. All right, tomorrow's a big day. You mentioned that we can at least stream it or watch it if we can't be there to kind of see it for the for, you know for our own eyes if we've never watched one of these matches. And how do we do that? On youtube.com slash playvs. All righty. Well, good luck to everybody. I appreciate your time, and I don't know who to cheer for, but go team. Thank you. Thank you for having us. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See, there you go. You might as well, if you've got a gamer in your family, and let them embrace it. If they're really good at it, instead of fighting against it, then, you know, sort of lean into it, get a little bit more structured, find out that the school has these teams going on, and make it something positive. I mean, Rhino, we've talked about it a little bit here on Good Things, and over the years, you've kind of been the voice of like, hey, this is coming, this is growing, it's not going to be, you know, what you think it is it's got potential for kids and when you start looking at scholarship opportunities and other kind of um opportunity it's out there oh yeah and it's growing you would you would have done this as a kid wouldn't you have if it had been a an option i would have definitely given it a shot i don't know if i would be nearly as good as some of these kids are especially in games like like smash bros or rocket league because i've played both of those games mm -hmm. and i've enjoyed both of those games but to get to a competitive level in those games, it it's insane the kind of hand-eye coordination and fast twitch brain energy needed. And they're fun games, but they also have enough balance in the program of the game to where it can be competitive, just like 
everybody's playing on the same field when you're playing football. Everybody's on the same court when you're playing basketball. And in video games, it, you're worried about, well, is the computing power equal or is that so that? No, the games are made balanced. And a lot of the companies focus on that balance so that it can be the basis for a competition. And then you you have all these other competitions that student-athletes can take part in and get access to scholarship money and, and ways to further their education. This is just another way to do that because you can get scholarship money. You can go to the next level and do this in college and have your college paid for by being really good at these games. And why not? Like if your kids are already sort of embracing it, again, embracing it in such a, you know, in sort of a positive way, and it feels like they're doing a good job, at least the leagues, at least the one we just spoke to, because I can understand the concerns for parents. They're choosing video games that aren't controversial. They're not, the you know, your slasher games or your no right. I mean, games. Rocket League, you have, there are some cars that you might recognize. Like I think there's a Ford F-150 in there. And there's the Batmobile in there. But there, a lot of these cars are just kind of made up by the creators of these games. But then they strap rockets on them, and you put them in this big arena, and they're playing soccer with cars. You know, and then you take it the next step, and it's like, again, I've said this so many times here, but I mean it. It's like if your kids are really interested into it, lean in it. Then get them interested in how is that game created. Then what's going into this? Let me tell you something. There's the money. So, I mean, now you're talking about coding, and now you're talking about computer science, and now you're talking about all of these things. And so instead of blocking them from something that can be positive, I mean, I get I get monitoring which games they do that that's just parenting 101 but you know okay like you obviously this brings you joy let's let's see you know it took a whole lot of math science you know mechanics and all that to sort of create these things if you love these worlds why can't you be the one out there sort of doing it or whatever and on the ceasefire text line matthew the bagpiper chimes in and says i'm a metroid guy myself well then you would probably enjoy the smash ultimate side of the tournament because smash brothers if you're unfamiliar is basically nintendo and a couple other third-party companies coming together going you know what we've got this whole catalog of characters from mario to samus from metroid to ice climbers to mr game and watch if you remember the little like handheld black and white thing that beep, beep, beep. all these different characters that they've created over time throw them all into one game and have them battle royale pretty cool pretty cool pretty cool and if you've got one of them old school and ataris or nintendos and you're at it brush those off they're worth some money now stick with us we got more up next stories that make you smile. This is Good Things with Rebecca Turner on Super Talk Mississippi, the Super Talk app, and at supertalk.fm.
Welcome back to Good Things. We are streaming live over at supertalk.fm. Middays with Jar Gibbert will be live at the Mississippi Blood Services on Wednesday at the Treetops Boulevard location off of Lakeland Drive in Flowood as we help Mississippi Blood Services celebrate a season of giving. So give the gift of life and donate today. And when you donate this week, you will receive either an um, uh, a knit beanie. Embroidered. Embroidered. Hmm. Bad typing. <laughs> or can- <laughs> Campfire mug while supplies uh, last. Embossed, I think is the word that I was supposed to say, but em- embroidered, embossed. I'm just, you know. It's a beanie. It's a, it's a beanie weenie. I mean, I'm not against beanies. I have a, a few of them, but I would be going for the campfire mug. I go for the campfire That's mug. That's my, my favorite type of mug. And well, you've got a good set of hair on your head, you don't necessarily need the beanie. Um, or I guess, yeah, it's a beanie. Beanie weenie. But that's not this totally different thing. But it's hard. To, <laughs> it's hard not to say it once you say the first word. Anywho, that's coming up Wednesday, and you should need something to go out and donate blood. But if you choose to do it this week, you will get a little extra happy uh, as well. Stephen Gulfport says, "I am wearing my Atari T-shirt today." He started with the Atari and in. in the Atari 2600 in 81. I wasn't even born yet, Steve. And I'm still gaming today at 53. So it's definitely an activity that can expand your lifespan. Okay, Steve, if you're listening. So how did you, how did you, um, I guess, progress through the gaming world? I mean, if you started with an Atari, did you move to Nintendo? Did you just sort of land at one? Have you always been the one that has to have the new gaming sort of system? And then I have a friend who's trying to find the perfect gaming device for her family. She's got, well, it's the two of them, two adults, a 10-year-old, 7-year-old, and maybe a 5-year-old. And she's wanting something that maybe can bring them together instead of pull them apart in their different uh, different rooms. And maybe not that you play all the time, but that can lend itself to being a family activity of at least five, four or five at least at a time. I would say you're probably, your best bet is going to be a Nintendo product. The Switch is probably the newest iteration of what would be great for that because the kids can take the Switch with them if they want to play something that's single player or you can dock it in the little thing Mm -hmm. and you basically pass out the little controllers that are built into the side and you can play multiplayer games on the screen or on the big screen but that's the newest iteration if you really just want a way to bring people together nintendo pretty much perfected that with the wii if you remember the wii with the motion controls and wii sports how many people have played wii bowling or wii tennis or one of the wii sports games and you haven't touched a video game in years before or since it but was you could just, just pick it up. Yeah, they they caught lightning in a bottle with that one and its ability for just anybody to jump in and play. Did that catch on? I mean, is it still out there? Oh yeah, you could still get a weed. You might have a hard time finding one in really good condition because they're probably all going to be used at this point. You're not going to find oh, a, they don't a make new, new one, one in box. No, really? those because they got the switch out now. Ah, uh, so it's kind of took its yeah. It took its spot. Kind of like when Super Nintendo came along, they they kind of quit making the old Nintendo. They moved on to the Super Nintendo. Well. They've moved on from the Wii to the Switch, but there's still a, a large contingent of Wii fans. What is that hot Christmas item around the gaming? Like, what's the what is the, I guess the system, the game that's like, if I got that under my tree this year, woo! It kind of depends. Knew it, if you knew what it was, yeah. If you're, there's two to three different camps. 
besides like building a gaming PC or something? Like if you have a, a teenager that's really into gaming but they don't have their own gaming PC. Is and, that a completely different PC with different Right, it's just got capacity. more bells and whistles and more ability than your just average sending emails, working on word processor. It, it's got a little bit more oomph to it to be able to handle the games that are made nowadays. But if you're thinking about consoles, really it's what are they used to? If they've got a PlayStation, the newest PlayStation is probably the hot ticket item. If they've got an Xbox, the newest Xbox is probably one. And if you have smaller kids or you're trying to do a family thing, I would I would say Nintendo because they tend to be a little bit more family friendly than the others. Jason said I love the old school Wii, especially the fishing games. <laughs> and then Wii Sports was actually the number one game and two for two consecutive um, years. I mean, that's just one of those things that it's kind of like the original Super Mario Bros, where there's a big chunk of the population that can say, yeah, I've pressed right and A and, and jumped on the Goombas and collected coins. I don't know what that feels like. Goombas. The same, pretty much the same number of people have played Wii Sports. It's just Nintendo caught lightning in a bottle with that. Well, there you go. See, I'm totally out of touch with all things gaming, but I can appreciate... A family it can bring when it can bring a family together or it can kind of bring out the personality in a kid. I think that's really cool if you just sort of lean into it. And who knows, they may be the next esport champion in Mississippi. It's possible, y'all. It's growing. All right, stick with us. We got more for you coming up next. You've got Sports Talk Mississippi from three to six. Rhino and I will meet you back here tomorrow at two. But until then, I hope you all find time for the good things. Talk Mississippi Media Production.